Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15 to 20 minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning and welcome to Monday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I'm your host, literally Heather. Happy New Year to all of you. I hope that you guys had a wonderful celebration this weekend and uh, you have worked off all of your hangovers at this point and you've got your goals set and you're headed into a great year. Um, As I share this next part with you, imagine the level of I told you so that I'm experiencing right now. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky signed into law a controversial statute expanding the government's power to regulate media groups and journalists in the country. Zelensky signed the legislation on Thursday over the objections of media unions and press freedom organizations who warned that it will have a chilling effect on free speech. I mean, the United States has no room to talk, but at least we still play pretend like champions. Under the new law, the National Television and Radio Broadcasting Council, whose members are appointed by the president's administration and by members of parliament, will have a broader authority over Ukrainian media organizations and journalists. The regulatory agency can effectively shut down news sites that are not registered. In a statement last month, the National Union of Journalists of Ukraine said the bill posed a threat to press freedom in the country. Zelensky's administration has been accused of suppressing press freedom. He first ordered the drafting of a new law to boost media regulation in 2019, the year he entered office. The law was passed along with several other new statutes lawmakers say are required in order to become eligible for European Union membership, which Ukraine applied for last year. Previous, I'm sorry, previous draft versions handed the National Television and Radio Broadcasting Council a greater ability to impose fines on media groups, revoke licenses from printed media, and block online outlets from publishing restricted information. When the draft versions were released, several international media organizations voiced opposition to the new law, including the Committee to Protect Journalists and the European Federation of Journalists, or the EPJ. EPJ General Secretary Ricardo Gutierrez told the New York Times that the law contradicted European press freedom standards. Ukraine will demonstrate its European commitment by promoting a free and independent media, not by establishing state control of information, Gutierrez said. Can we all let out a collective lull, considering European media is currently threatening a boycott of Twitter for allowance of hate speech, which is quite literally state control of information. Brace for a spike in U.S. gas prices next year due to a refinery disruption and amid renewed energy demand from China as the Asian nation reopens its economy. 2023 is not going to be a cakewalk for motorists. It could be expensive, said Patrick DeHaan, who is the head of petroleum analysis at Gas Buddy, which tracks fuel costs. The national average price of gas at the pump could top around $4 a gallon in most major U.S. cities as early as May. Cities on the west coast of California, <clears throat> west coast state of California, such as San Francisco and Los Angeles, 
could see gas prices approach nearly $7 a gallon the summer of 2023. Basically, curveballs are coming from every direction. I don't think we've ever seen such an amount of volatility as we saw this year. And that will be a trend that likely continues to lead to wider uncertainty over fuel prices going into 2023, he added. U.S. gas costs have retreated from the highs reached in June when the national average topped $5 a gallon as global oil prices surged amid disruptions created by Russia's war with Ukraine and an energy crisis in Europe. The drop came after President Joe Biden started releasing record amounts of crude from the U.S. Strategic Reserve to rein in energy costs and inflation. According to DeHaan, a rebound in gas prices is already starting in part due to the extreme cold weather conditions blanketing the United States, which has caused havoc on refineries and curbed the production of gasoline and diesel, which we already know we have an incredible diesel shortage right now. That means 2022 closed with a yearly national average for gasoline of $3.95 a gallon, which is the highest yearly average ever recorded. While it's highly improbable that lightning strikes the same spot twice, the storm clouds over oil and refined markets may persist, and there still could be some spikes in the market that remain somewhat tight. Thomas Massey tweeted out an invitation for average everyday plebs to chime in with what our priorities would be if we were in Congress in 2023. My list included the following. Cut funding for federal agencies that have been using their resources to violate constitutional rights by proxy. Place limits on bureaucratic influence as they are not elected, and it implies that we no longer have a representative government and an end to proxy voting. Show up or show yourself out. No more omnibus spending bills. No more taxpayer-funded proxy wars. Full repeal of the NFA and whatever the Patriot Act is now called in all its unpatriotic glory. Elimination of the politician-to-lobbyist pipeline. They'd be more inclined to vote in favor of their constituents and not their favorite lobbying firm if they didn't have a multi-million dollar career lined up post-congressional position. Term limits are an absolute must. Nancy Pelosi entered congressional office when I was four years old and can't even keep her dentures in her mouth, but is still there. She's so far removed from the reality of the everyday working class American, she doesn't even have to step over the shit on the sidewalk in her district, but she still gets to cash in. This brings me to my last priority if I were a member of Congress. No congressional member would be permitted to vote on legislation that they have personal investments in. You have stock in Moderna and you're voting on whether we should mandate vaccines for the military? No, ma'am or sir, you do not get to vote. 77 members of the 117th session of Congress violated a federal conflict of interest in financial disclosure law according to a review of congressional financial disclosures by Business Insider and other news outlets. The law is called the Stop Trading on Congressional Knowledge Act of 2012, also known as the Stock Act, and it was passed under President Barack Obama following a huge insider trading scandal that rocked Congress. The Stock Act notably requires members of Congress to report trades they made or made by their spouses or dependent children within 45 days 
or risk a financial slap on the wrist. The standard penalty for such a violation is $200. So let's make sure that sinks in for a minute. You stand to make millions from an investment. If you happen to do so, you risk a $200 payment for the violation. Risk and reward is a real thing, but a decade later, Republican and Democratic lawmakers like routinely violate the Stock Act. 40 Republicans and 37 Democrats in the current Congress violated the law. Some members of Congress violated the more the law more egregiously than others. Uh, GOP Rep Pat Fallon of Texas, for example, violated the Stock Act multiple times and waited months to disclose up to $17 million in trades. Democratic Rep. Tom Suozzi of New York repeatedly failed to file reports on time across 30, or I'm sorry, 300 personal financial transactions. The House Committee on Ethics ultimately absolved Suozzi and Fallon from being penalized for violating the Stock Act. The committee found there was not clear evidence that either congressman committed knowing or willful violations of the act. This despite a referral from the Independent Office of Congressional Ethics, which conducted its own investigation and unanimously concluded earlier this year that there was substantial reason to believe that they both violated the act. Qui custodiat ispos custodis is a phrase in Latin, who watches the watchers. When you allow the criminals to police themselves, they're quite less inclined to issue any sort of punishment. Lawmakers who shape U.S. defense policy while simultaneously holding shares of defense companies and legislators who actively trade in stocks in companies that made COVID-19 vaccines at the height of the pandemic. In addition to the legislators, at least 182 high-ranking congressional staffers also violated the Stock Act with late and overdue disclosures. This must change immediately. About 20 years ago, I remember watching this show on National Geographic called Taboo. It was, I can't believe it was 20 years ago either. Um, it was an educational look at different cultural norms and the taboo outliers within different societies. One of the episodes, aptly titled Death, the documentary crew visited Indonesia, India, and the United States to show how burial practices and dealing with death are handled differently from culture to culture. In the Indonesia segment, a wealthy family mummified the body of their grandmother for almost a year inside of their house, and then, when they finally buried her, several buffaloes were sacrificed for their blood so that she could reach heaven, paradise, nirvana, whatever you want to call it. I'm sharing this story with you because it wasn't long ago that cremation was fairly taboo here in the United States. It certainly wasn't common. Saturday, though, New York became the sixth U.S. state to legalize human composting as a method of burial. Washington was the first state to legalize human composting in 2019, followed by Colorado and Oregon in 2021, and Vermont and California in 2022. The alternative green method of burial is a way for those who wish to live in an environmentally conscious way to continue that in death. The process involves the body of the deceased being placed in a reusable vessel, along with plant material such as wood chips, 
alfalfa, and straw. That organic mix creates the perfect habitat for naturally occurring microbes to do their work quickly and efficiently, breaking down the body in about a month's time. The end result is a cubic yard stack of nutrient-dense soil, the equivalent of about 36 bags of soil that can be used to plant trees, enrich conservation land, forests, or gardens. Even though human composting is now legal, not everyone is on board with the idea. Uh, Dennis Paust, who's the executive director with the New York State Catholic Conference, said in a statement, a process that's perfectly appropriate for returning vegetable trimmings to the earth is not necessarily appropriate for human bodies. Human bodies are not household waste. We do not believe the process meets the standards of reverent treatment of our earthly remains. In a response to him, the founder of Recompose or Recompose, not sure how you say their name, um, they're a full-service green funeral home in Seattle that offers human composting set. Cremation uses fossil fuels and burial uses a lot of land that has a carbon footprint. For many folks, being turned into soil that can be turned to grow into a garden or a tree is pretty impactful. I'm curious to hear your all's thoughts on this one, so let me know in the comments what you think about that. There's never a dull moment in the constant drama that is American politics in Washington, D.C. The upcoming speakership vote is no exception. House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy outlined some of the concessions that he has agreed to in his campaign for speaker on a Sunday evening conference call, including making it easier to topple the speaker. But McCarthy could not say whether or not he would have the votes for the speakership even after giving in to some of the most hardline demands. Later Sunday evening, House Republicans unveiled their rules package for the 118th Congress, which formalizes some of the concessions that McCarthy has agreed to. The House adopts its rule package only after it has selected a speaker, which McCarthy has not locked down. So there could be additional compromises made in the coming days. In a Dear Colleague letter from the California Republican, he made his case for the speakership and offered additional promises, including ensuring that the ideological groups are better represented on committees. Not long after Sunday's call, a group of nine hardliners who had outlined their demands to McCarthy last month, put out a new letter saying that some of the concessions he announced are insufficient and making clear they're still not sold on him, though they did say progress is being made. Quote, thus far, there continue to be missing specific commitments with respect to virtually every component of our entreaties. And thus, no means to measure whether promises are kept or broken. The group is still pushing to give a single lawmaker the power to call for a vote toppling the speaker, and they also want a commitment that leadership won't play in primaries, among other things. Since McCarthy can only afford to lose four votes on the House floor, it means that he still has a lot of work to do before Tuesday. The California Republican has told his members in Sunday's call that after weeks of negotiations, he has agreed to a threshold as low as five people to trigger a vote on ousting the speaker at any given time, known as the, quote, motion to vacate the speaker's chair and has pitched it as a compromise. 
Some moderates, who fear the motion to vacate will be used as a constant cudgel over McCarthy's head, pushed back and expressed their frustration during the call. This is always what's fascinating to me about the difference between Republicans and Democrats. The Democrats operate in lockstep. For Democrats, there's no fight. They choose, they get in line, and they operate operate like good lemmings. Winning is all that matters to them, and they will do so at whatever cost. Republicans, on the other hand, are less hive-minded. They still operate collectively, but it's more by cliques and not as one solid unit. However, later in the call, Florida Rep Matt Gates, one of the five hard-no votes from McCarthy, said that they would not back McCarthy despite all concessions. Representative Carlos Jimenez of Florida then repeated Diaz-Ballard's question, asking McCarthy to answer it. McCarthy's response, according to sources, was that they have a couple days to close the deal and that they do need to close. Rep-elect Mike Lawler of New York asked Gates if he would back McCarthy if he agreed to bring the motion to vacate threshold down to a single lawmaker, which is what it used to be before Speaker Nancy Pelosi changed the rules. Gates replied that McCarthy has refused to entertain that idea, but if he's making that offer now, then he would consider it. McCarthy said that he disagrees with Gates's characterization, arguing that the rest of the conference can't support the threshold as low as one person. It's not about me, the California Republican said. However, he asked Gates if he could get to a yes if McCarthy came down to a one-person threshold, to which Gates was still fairly noncommittal and said if it was a real offer, he would entertain it. The package released late Sunday includes giving five Republicans the power to call for a vote on deposing the sitting speaker, restoring the ability to zero out a government official salary, that's huge, giving lawmakers 72 hours to read a bill before it comes to the floor, that's still not long enough if you keep passing omnibus bills, but okay, and creating a new select committee to investigate the weaponization of the Justice Department and the FBI. That's awesome. The rules package does not change the process for discharge petitions, which allows lawmakers to circumvent leadership and force the bill to the floor if it has the support of 218 lawmakers. Other notable items that might be of interest to you. The rules package prohibits remote hearings and markups, does away with staffer unionization efforts, and allows the House Ethics Committee to take ethic complaints from the public. Don't think that this last one was not was lost on me. Uh, while this package is being billed as quote-unquote final, GOP sources have cautioned that nothing is final until it's passed. After the House elects a speaker and swears in members, lawmakers vote on the rules package, which governs how the chamber operates. It will be interesting to see if Republicans can rally around McCarthy to ensure the speakership and if he'll follow through with the commitments in the rules package after clinching the nomination. Regardless, as always, it will be fun to watch. That is your Monday edition of everything yesterday this morning. Hope you guys have a great day and I will see you tomorrow. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out shouseinthehouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.